I'm going to break this up into, into three parts. And I was thinking about going through the whole thing non-stop, but I think it would be better just to give you guys an opportunity to ask questions at each, at, at each point. Now, you know how God says the good news about Jesus? Uh, it is the power of God because when a person comes to know the Son of God and, and they put their trust in Him, then something supernatural happens in the life of that person. Right? It's not just that they, they take on a new way of life or they have a, a new kind of philosophy to live by because we know people have conversion experiences. I mean, I've got mates who have been completely transformed because they met a beautiful girl that they've started dating and everything about them has just changed from their language down to the way they dress. Um, but this is different. When we get to know Jesus, it's a full-on conversion. Something supernatural happens in a person. And, uh, and so because of that, it's what we've got to try to understand when it comes to telling people about Jesus is everything that we're going to talk about is supernatural in a sense. And so it is just flat-out weird. All right? It is really weird. You're trying to talk to people who can't see past the physical about some hidden reality that lies behind the entire creation and all of being, and people can't see it. And so the first thing to understand is it's weird. What we have to share is strange, and people are going to find it strange. The question is, how do we talk about these spiritual things in a world that can't see beyond the physical? Because that's really what we're trying to deal with when it comes to evangelism. How are we going to talk about spiritual things in a world that can't see beyond the physical? Or more to the point, how do we talk about this stuff and actually be taken seriously? Because we believe what God says in the Bible. I love that verse in the, right at the back end of Acts. It's Acts 28 verse 28, I think it is, where the Apostle Paul says, well, I'm going to take this to the Gentiles and they will listen. And so we kind of do church on the back of that. We know that if the gospel goes out and people hear it and they're actually engaged and they're thinking about what you're saying, they'll listen. And so how do we engage with people and help them to hear what we've got to say? That's a big thing. And so my three points. Firstly, clarity is king. I like having note-takers in the congregation. I'm not used to this. <laughs> so the thing about ethnics is they don't want to write anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, clarity is king. Second thing, you're often only as good as your church. That's a long one, I know. And the third point, how to get a person to church. All right, so clarity is king. You're often only as good as your church. And how to get a person to church. So firstly, clarity is king. Now, I don't know if you've heard that saying or not, but it is one of the truest statements that you'll hear. Clarity is king. Uh, you can try to describe something that is amazing, and if it's not clear, it just falls on deaf ears, and it's so true when it comes to Jesus. And most of the time, I reckon people fail to actually hear the good news of Jesus because it's not communicated in a way that's clear enough for people to understand. Now, this happened to me. I first came into touch with this when I first told my dad about Jesus. Now, after I read the Bible and I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus, I still hadn't had any contact with any Christians, I wasn't going to church, I didn't know there were churches out there that taught the Bible. And so I'm this Christian, I'm on fire for God, I'm seeing Him in everything, and yet I didn't know any Christians, I'm just kind of on my own, bouncing off the walls and just trying to live a life. And my dad sees me in my room reading the Bible and he says to me, what's all this stuff about? And I thought, oh, beautiful, what an opportunity. I'm going to tell my dad everything I know about Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and I seriously, by the end of the conversation, he had this look on his face that it was kind of like dreary, droopy, and I ended up just getting angry and then just stormed out of the house and slammed the door behind me. Now, it wasn't, was it my dad's fault? It wasn't my dad's fault at all because my dad's just recently put his hand up in the congregation to give his life to Jesus. So we're, uh, that's a long, long, long time coming. But, uh, but anyway, um, 10 years isn't that long in the scheme of things. People wait a lot longer than that. But, um, but clarity is king. And, and I reckon if I was able to explain the gospel, the good news about Jesus to my dad in a better way, he would have heard it. Uh, that was my fault. So the first thing is, if you use a word with more than four syllables to explain what Jesus did on the cross, chances are you're making things more confusing than they need to be. 
All right, now we know that there's Christianese that we use around church, and it becomes so commonplace that you forget how weird uh, these words are. So I want to try to, I'm going to talk about some things here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not downplaying any of these words because they're very important. I'm just saying if you want to talk to people about Jesus, don't use them in conversation. Use the idea, but think of other words to explain them. Firstly, evangelism. Now, when I first started going to church, I brought a mate of mine along to church, and, uh, and someone said to me, oh, you're quite an evangelist, aren't you? And I, I just was remember looking at him thinking, what did you call me? Like, it was like, <laughs> is that even a good thing? I just had no idea what it was. And that was helpful for me because I remember people don't know what evangelism is. So that's the first one. Sanctification, justification, glorification. Unless you're talking to a thesaurus, you only muddy the water, <laughs> all right? Even words that aren't that nerdy. And then these are the ones that we often trip up in. Gospel. What's gospel? What is that? Is that something that Elvis Presley sung? <laughs> it is. Gospel, salvation, saved, even resurrection. Now, we know resurrection, what that means. Most people will be able to tell you, but you don't understand. People hear resurrection, and it's like, it's just, it's a church word. And so you can either say, Jesus, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and it's like, blank church, not here. Or you can go and just elaborate on that, or not even use the word, and just say, you know, Jesus, he died, and he came back to life. And for some reason, people hear that. They hear it much better than if you try to use a big word. Um, even the word Christian, most people don't know what that is. So, a genuine follower of Jesus, someone who genuinely takes Jesus seriously, who genuinely wants to follow him in their life. Use things like that rather than Christianese. So the question, that actually works with this congregation even better. <laughs> keep it simple. So how do we keep the good news of Jesus, uh, Jesus simple? The first step in keeping the good news of Jesus simple as you try to explain it to someone is it's got to be really simple in your head. And so the question is, because you know the Bible's big, there's 66 books in there, there's a, a lot of words, a lot of verses, a lot of ideas. Is it clear enough in your head so that you can talk to someone about its content and do it in a way that's not going to be confusing? And so I've got a way of keeping the Bible in my head to help me to understand it. Now, I've gone to Bible college for four years full-time. I've read heaps of theology, and I reckon the best way to understand the Bible is this way. God, me, God, me. That's how I break it down in my head. God, me, God, me. Because I'll tell you what, that gives me the whole span of the Bible. And let me explain it to you. God made it. Me, or we, broke it. God fixed it. We, what are you going to do about it? That's the question. God, me, God, me. If you want to elaborate on that a little bit, then you say, well, God, He made the world and everything in it. We, decided to go our own way, and we stuffed everything up. God, rather than stand back, He chose to send Jesus into the world in order to bring us back into a proper relationship with God, and He offers that to us, that forgiveness and that grace. He offers that to us as something that we can take or reject. Do you understand that in your minds? It's simple, but it's genius, because no matter who you talk to, what you simply do is find what their objection is, find out where they are on that simple scale, and then you just kind of hone in on, on that. So uh, a lot of my stories are from the gym. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I was at the gym a few years ago, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm pushing weights with this Chinese guy. And, um, and it, hey? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. This was in, uh, where was it? This was in, uh, in Blacktown. So, yeah, there weren't a lot of Chinese around. But, um, but we were in the gym together and we were talking. And, uh, and, 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 and I said to him, what do, you, what do you think, what do you believe about God? And he came back and said, look, I'm an atheist. And so I thought, all right, God me, God me. You think, where's he at? He's right at the beginning. And so I said to him, well, you honestly think that the whole universe just came about on its own? And he's like, hmm. 
well, maybe I'm not an atheist. He said, he goes, maybe I'm agnostic. I'm like, all right, very good. And I was like, beautiful, we moved him on to the next one. So what's the next one? God, me. I'm thinking, now you, all right? And so I said to him, well, you know, the world's a bit of a mess, isn't it, at the moment? And he's like, yeah, it is a mess. I said, what do you think the problem is? He said, I don't know. I said, do you think if everyone in the world just did what was right, do you think people would get along? He said, of course they'd get along. I said, well, why don't people get along? He said, well, obviously people aren't doing what's right. I said, that's exactly right. It's our fault, isn't it? Okay, beautiful. We've just, he agreed with that. I said, if everyone just did the right thing, things would go all right. So we've gone, God, me, he's understood. God created, we broke it. And then we come to the Jesus part. And this is the part where I really wanted to get to. And I said, this is what Christianity is all about. I said, God didn't just kind of let the world just kind of tumble into its own ruin. But Jesus came into the world and he spoke to us about a better way. He actually made a way for us to have forgiveness so that we could relate to God again and have that perfect creation that he intended for us from the beginning. Now that's where that conversation ended, but I got there because we were able to kind of go through that simple little breakdown. I'll tell you another story about a Roman Catholic. Uh, This guy asked if he could come and meet with me so that we could have a debate about the things of God. And so I said, all right, beautiful. And he said to me, I've only got one hour. I said, one hour is plenty of time. And so I argued with him for 55 minutes about everything from saints to Mary to anything that you can think of that's Catholic, right? And by Mary, I love Mary. So all I'm talking about is the worship of Mary. And... um, uh, and then after 55 minutes, I'm like, I've got to get somewhere here because I'm getting nowhere. And I said to him, tell me, knowing that he believes in God, he believes we broke it, he believes that Jesus came and died. And so I'm thinking, his must be at that point. So I said to him, how do you think a person gets to heaven? And he said to me, well, if we knew the answer to that, we wouldn't have to have this conversation, would we? <laughs> and I thought, oh, man. And I, so in five minutes, I said to him, let me listen. You just shut up and listen to me for a minute, okay? <laughs> I said, that's what the Bible tells you. Jesus came into the world and he died on the cross so that if we come to him, like if we genuinely give our lives to him and follow him, we can have forgiveness. And, and that's where I should have started the conversation, knowing that he's a Catholic and he had, I should have just started with, how do you think you receive what Jesus did for you? That's that. Identify where people are and just chat to them. Because that was a simple way of someone spoke to me. When I was in the gym and I spoke to that guy who witnessed to me for the first time, He wasn't a very educated guy, but I tell you the genius of what he did. He looked at me and he worked out three things. He worked out that I am Catholic, which meant I'm culturally Christian, and he worked out that I was human. Now, what that means is, firstly, as a Catholic, he knew that I wouldn't know what I was going to face when I died. And so he asked that question, do you know what you're going to face when you die? He knew, he knew. I didn't know. So he sucked me in there. And then he knew that I was culturally Christian, so I didn't know what it really was to be a Christian, and so he asked me that question. He sucked me in even further. And then, because he knew that I'm human, he knew that I didn't have an answer for death or what life was all about in light of death. And so when he asked me if I knew what was going to happen to me when I died, he knew I wouldn't have an answer to it. And without having an answer, he then kind of pointed me toward the Bible, because I didn't know how many times I was going to have contact with him. And so in his wit, he pointed me into the direction so that I could go and get answers. Now, he'd be happy to keep talking to me every time I bumped into him at the gym, but by God's grace, I didn't keep seeing him, and the direction that he pointed me was where I was able to find the answers. So you'll notice, and this is the end of this point here, it's all super clear to understand And they're conversations that you can have with anyone. But it's got to be really clear in your mind. And if it's clear in your mind, you'll be able to locate every single person on the planet on that simple flow. Work out where they're at and then apply it to their lives uh, without using Christian jargon. All right, that's point one. That's probably the longest point as well. But does anyone have any questions about that before we move on to talk about the fact that you're probably only as good as your church. Yeah. So you know how you said that, that to your friends you knew that being a Catholic meant you just didn't understand. But what if we have friends who have other religious 
Yeah, okay. I'd say, I'd begin from the beginning and say, what do you think about God? Like, do you believe God exists? You know, because if someone's got a religious background, asking questions is such a good way to get to telling them what you know. So if I'm talking to a Buddhist and I'm assuming that they have some kind of conception about the universe, that it's eternal, that it wasn't actually created at some point, I'd want to ask them about that and ask them about whether they think that that makes sense as they see the way people relate to one another um, and then just to be able to share with them that what we believe about God is that He actually created everything. He created us with this desire to want to know one another and relate to one another uh, and that He put that desire in us because He made us with the capacity to know Him and relate to Him. But I would probably ask questions to them and then locate where they're at on that spectrum. Yeah. Any others? Mm. Look, you just got to get chatting. And what I've found is, and I'm going to actually going to tap into this, but as you talk to people, if you actually show enough interest in them to want to know about them, and you ask where they're from, um, I mean, just that you find out if, where are you from, and they'll tell you that what part of the world they're from or whatever. That's a non-offensive question. Most people want to tell you about their history. It's just a thing, a human thing. We just want to tell people about where we come from. You know so much about a person. Oh, I come from Iraq. Oh, okay then. I mean, are you Assyrian background or are you Iraqi Iraqi? It's like, oh, I'm Iraqi. Are you Muslim or Christian? Like, what? I'm Muslim. Okay. So, what do you believe about Jesus? Because I know he's in the Quran. Like, just, I, I would talk in that sense, and when you're asking questions, often people aren't going to get... I've never had a person who's gotten offended by you asking questions. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Do you disagree? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're probably one of the hardest ones to engage with. So my my wife is one of them. So grew up in a Christian home, uh, Christian, 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 everything. Uh, and then, how do you how do you make sure that there's a genuine faith in there? Um, and I think, to be honest with you, the way I've been able to navigate through that one, and this is only, I haven't been used to dealing with people like this before marriage, and uh, <laughs> co coming into churches and, and dealing with people's children and stuff, but you know that little phrase, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, yeah, like if you know Jesus, you've got peace and contentment. And, uh, and that's not to say you can't go through seasons of life where, you know, you don't know where you should be or what you should be doing or whatever, but deep down you'll have, a Christian will have a sense of peace uh, from knowing Jesus, knowing their eternal destiny is kind of stitched up. And I think you've got to go that deep when you're dealing with cultural Christians because a person that's grown up in the church and learnt about Jesus their whole life, but hasn't genuinely repented and given their life to Him, will have no peace. And, uh, and there'll be kind of, there'll be a lack of contentment. Um, yeah, and, and so I would, I would, I think you've got to go a little bit deeper and just, just trek how, 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 how they're going in life. Um, do you feel a sense of peace knowing that knowing that Jesus has got your life in His hands. And I think pretty soon you'll, you'll find that they'll be like, if as they think about it, no, I don't have that sense at all. Because uh, that's something that you need to be converted to have. Yeah. And it's helpful too because, I mean, this is seriously, this is something that I've talked to my wife about. There's this preacher 
whose wife became a Christian after like 12 years on the mission field. Her testimony was so powerful. But she just went on and she just explained that. Like, she had no contentment in her life. She felt no peace. She did all this stuff for Jesus, but um, she had to make an effort to appear godly. Like, it didn't come from her. Like, she didn't just want to be godly because she is godly. Like, it just... And all this stuff. And then in the end, she realized, you know what? Like, I'm... I haven't actually taken all of this sin and laid it at the feet of Jesus and, and asked him for forgiveness. And when she did that, she, she experienced the peace of, of Jesus in her life. Yeah, but I'd be asking them questions. Did you want to add anything to that, Peter? Because it's a... Yeah. One more question before we move on. And then... Yeah. Oh. How do you get into that situation where you can be asking those things? Yeah. Like, so again, on my third point, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but it's about caring about someone enough to want to ask questions. And you'll be so surprised how deep a person is willing to go if you just show this much more care than the last 10,000 people that they've met. Yeah. All right, let's move on. And if you've got any other questions about this stuff, can you jot it down? Because I'm happy to stay here as long as you need to get through whatever questions you have. All right, so clarity is king. Uh, here we go. You're only, often, you're only as good as your church. Now, some people have a desire to talk about Jesus, don't they? Like a real desire to talk about Jesus. One of those people was a prophet named Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to. Uh, read you out a little passage from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. If you want to read it, Jeremiah 20, verse 8 and 9. He says, So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and criticism all day long. But if I say I won't mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is like in my heart like a fire a fire that's shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So you see that desire that this guy's got? It's like, I know this is going to hurt. It's going to bring me insult. And, and I hate that about God's Word. And I try to hold it in, but I can't. It's just going to come out. Now, they reckon in any church congregation, that's one out of ten. All right? One out of ten people are like that. Now, if you are that one out of ten and you're just itching to talk to people about Jesus, then you need to go and work on clarity so that you can be even better at your witness. If you are the 9 out of 10, where you feel like that word is in you and you'd like to talk it, but it's not really burning that strongly that you're just kind of going to blow apart if you, if you hold it in, then uh, I think you need a little bit more help. And can I say that in any congregation, 9 out of 10 people need a little bit more help uh, to talk to people about Jesus because it's not easy. It's a hard thing. But the good news is, when you're connected to a decent church, a good evangelist is simply someone who can drag a friend along to church. You know that? Now, by the grace of God, I've seen a number of people come to know Jesus in the last nine years since I've been a Christian, and you know how the majority of them have happened? It's just by me dragging people along to church. I didn't really have to say much apart from, what are you doing Saturday night, Sunday morning, or whenever it is, how about you come along to church? Um, now, we'll dig into a little bit deeper to this, but the, one of the things we need to remember is um, you can probably get a friend interested in the things of God, like in a conversation, but you won't, very rarely will you see someone converted on the spot. Like you talk to them about the things of God and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 and then bang, how do I give my life to Him? That's a very rare thing. But you know what's heaps more powerful? When you talk to them about Jesus and they look at you like, oh, he's friendly, she's friendly, a little bit weird, and I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing, but yeah, I'll come along to church because, you know, I might have been to church before, we're in a culture where everyone knows church happens on a Sunday, or I'll come along just once, and then they walk into a building and they see 50 other people who are all worshipping the same Jesus. It's like, there's power in that. And just remember that. You just drag a person along to church... And he's a very powerful witness, seeing a whole bunch of people worshipping the same Jesus. You might be the first piece in the puzzle, but it's often a conversation with another friend of yours from church. 
the pastor who preaches a sermon better than you could have ever explained the gospel, that ends up getting him over the line. And my mum is an example of this. I talked to my mum about Jesus and didn't really go far. I then brought her along to church on Sunday morning and she sat down under a preacher who was able to relate well with her. And then she was just happy to keep coming back week after week after week. And about 18 months later, she decided, I think I believe this stuff. Now, did my mum, if she only ever heard it from me, I would have just been the friendly weirdo son of hers who was trying to help her out to get her life on track. Uh, She hears it from someone else in community and all of a sudden she sits and listens about the impact that this has on her life. There's something powerful in that. Never underestimate the influence of a church community. Now, I had a friend of mine who agreed to do Bible study with me. So this is, so I was out at a party and I had a friend of mine who was getting drunk and so I spoke to him this is another gym story, actually. And, um, and so he was on his way to get drunk, and I knew that his mum was suffering from depression and that he's close with his mum. And so as he was getting drunk, I kind of came up next to him and we talked, and I said, how's your mum? And straight away, he was fighting back the tears. And then I said to him, listen, you know, life's hard, and if you don't understand that there's more to life, I said, as we get older, it's these things are difficult and they just weigh really heavy on us. So how about you come and we read the Bible together? And he said to me, how about you come to the gym with me again? And I was like, I'll come to the gym with you if you do Bible study with me once a night. How's that? And he said, all right, deal. And so we started, I started going to the gym with him and then he was doing Bible study with me. And, uh, and he was seeing things in the Bible that he had never seen before. And this is an altar boy. Like he was an altar boy growing up and stuff. Um, and he was kind of catching on that there was something behind this. But it was only when I took him to church and he walked in and he saw all these people around our age worshipping Jesus that he realised that this wasn't just a grant thing, that this was real. And there was a lot of credibility in that. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus. I was listening to 2GB the other day. You anyone be listening to 2GB? 873 AM radio, Peter? Yeah, woo! <laughs> Represent. So they've got this ad on 2GB, and it's uh, an ad for Australian Pensioners Insurance Agency, APR. And as I'm listening to this ad, um, they, they, the line said, with 700,000 members, can 700,000 people be wrong? And I thought, wow, that's powerful. Now, we... we <laughs> We know the answer to that, right? They can. 700,000 people can be wrong, okay? But still, there is credibility in numbers. And so use it to your advantage. That's, that's all on that one. Because um, you will have the odd occasion where you'll invite someone to church and they'll sit down and they'll hear the perfect sermon from a minister and they'll turn to you and just be like, I just feel like the massive weight of the world has just rolled off my shoulders. But nine out of ten times, they're going to need to hear it from other people and in community. Community is such a powerful thing, so use it to your advantage. So remember, when you're linked with a good church, a good evangelist is simply someone who can drag a person along to church. Remember when I first got called an evangelist? Why? Because I dragged someone along to church. That's all. So do more of that. Now before we get into our third point, how to get a person to church, does anyone have any questions about Point two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, when you're connected to a decent church, a good evangelist is often someone who can drag a person along to church. If you're connected to a, a, a really inward-focused church that has, doesn't have an eye to the outsider, then you're not a good evangelist to drag a person along to church necessarily because they're going to come in and feel like a widow. And so, the reason why I can give this talk here is because I know that Peter makes an effort with the language that he uses Uh, in order to speak in a way that if there is an outsider there, they're not going to feel so much on the outside. 
Now, there are, I mean, just talking about Jesus is strange enough. And so there are always going to be things at church that are going to be difficult for people to hear. But it's okay. If you're stumbling over Jesus, then that's okay. The, the thing that you want to try to avoid is um, them stumbling over things that don't have to necessarily be there. But if you've got a church that's always teaching the Bible clearly and explaining it and applying it to life, then, yeah, the singing might be a little bit weird and, and whatever, but they're going to hear a clear message packaged for someone who's living in the 21st century. That's, that's what you want. And if that's happening, then that's great. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've got... Let me, before I get to you, I just want to tell you a story. I've got a guy who's at a local, another local church to us, and he's a bit of an evangelist. But whenever he wants to bring someone to church, he calls me and he says can't bring this person to my church because they're going to weed him out. So can I just bring him to your church? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, bring him. And so like we kind of, because he knows, and that's the thing about a church. It's like if you're doing things in a way that's helping the outsider to feel like they can understand what's being said, people are going to be more likely to want to come along to hear what you've got to say. Yeah. No, not really. And to be honest with you, I think the most effective way to get a person to engage with Jesus is by reading the Bible. And so if you can do that, that's excellent. Uh, to my shame, in the last few years, like I've had three kids in the last four years, Bible college, starting the church, building a house, just doing stuff. I, I haven't been opening the Bible with people as much as I'd like to. So my dad is someone who I'm reading through the first few chapters of the book of Romans with at the moment. Um, and so that's happening for the first time in a few years. Um, and each to his own, really. My, my way, if you want just to know me personally, I'd rather sit down, uh, you know, say, read through... I'm a big believer in the, the most, the clearest kind of, uh, what would you call it? There are many things that are written about Jesus, aren't there? But I reckon the most accurate representations of the things that happened come from the four biographies that are written in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you're going to read anything with a non-Christian, I'd say go to the Gospels and read through a chapter with them at a time and just chat to them about what do you find surprising in there? Anything that struck you as interesting? something along those lines, and just get a conversation going. Uh, so, I don't know, like, how you invite people to church, like, what words or phrases you say, um, but I'd like to know how you do that, and um, if they say no, what do you do? You know, I heard this thing the other day that I've been building myself the courage to actually say to someone... And, uh, and this businessman said, he'll talk to someone about Jesus, and if they end up just saying no, he'll say to them, well, go to hell then, <laughs> right? And, and it's like, what? And so the person literally, you can't say that to someone and not have them look at you like, what did you just say? And then he'll follow that up with, well, Jesus came into the world to save us from hell. And so you're telling me you want nothing to do with him? Then I'm telling you, that's the decision that you're making. <laughs> And I'm thinking, wow, that's clever. So it, it takes guts to say it. And I have to admit, I haven't said it yet. And I, but, but anyway, I'm not recommending it, okay? I'm going to go back to the original question. I just thought I'd share that with you so you can mull over it. Um, so how do I get a person along to church? Typically, uh, for me, it's, it's in a conversation with someone. For me to invite someone along to church, I've generally got a pre-existing relationship with them. And, um, and the conversation we've already touched on, you know, what do you think about God? You know, where do you, where do you feel like you're heading in life? And in light of death, like, do you think that there's got to be more to life? Like, do you find that there's certain things that don't kind of line up in light of death? Like, and, uh, and, and then as, we, as we're talking about those things, which aren't easy things to talk about, because they're very intimate, like to talk to someone, even praying with someone, 
Like, it is such an intimate thing, you know? Like, you can't just do it with anyone. Um, but when you get to that level where you're asking someone what they think about God, just, just that question means I'm now, I've got an in now to be able to say to them, why don't you come along to church with me this Sunday? You can just sit at the back. It's, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. No one's going to get in your face. Just come along. We're currently going through this book or whatever, and I think you'll get a good picture about who Jesus is and what it means for your life. I'd say something along those lines. Why don't you just come along to church with me on Sunday and, uh, and just check it out for yourself? Yeah, it's non-threatening. It's not weird. You don't have to say a prayer or anything like that. Just come along, check it out. Yeah, yeah, if they say, yeah, so generally if they say no, then, uh, then it'll be, I'll, I, I haven't generally pushed it much further than that, um, but I won't, what I've found is over the years, a person may resist, but you're probably the only person who's genuinely talked to them about the things of God, and as is the pattern in life, ups and downs, seasons, life kicks everyone in the head. And so as that time happens, you just want to be around them enough to be there to be able to have a conversation with them. I've got friends of mine that come around every six months. Like I'll have a conversation with them, I'll push them to come to church, they'll say no, and I'll seriously cut them off. I'm like, I just don't have time for this relationship, and I'll just let them go. And then nine months later, they'll get in touch with me because they're kind of in the middle of a little bit of a crisis, or having a hard time in marriage, or... Uh, you know, something bad's happened or whatever, and I'm there. I'm there, and I want to be there for them during that. But this is why the initial conversation, just initially getting onto that level with someone, once you're on that level, you can often stay on that level with them. And I'm going to get to that in this next point, how to get a person to church. It's a lot about how to have a conversation with someone and get on that level so that you can at least invite them along. But yeah, just letting him know. It's not, it's not threatening. No one's going to get in your face. Like it's, why don't you come along? We're looking at this book of the Bible at the moment and, uh, and it'll help you to really understand what Jesus has done. And just that in itself is like, who doesn't want to know what Jesus did? You know, there's these guys who do door knocking and they ask this question to a whole bunch of people to try to get a survey about, you know, what questions to ask when you're door knocking. And they ask this question... If you had the opportunity to get to know God, like really get to know Him, would you want to take it? And they found that a, the vast majority of people said, yeah. If God was real, if you had an opportunity to get to know Him and He was real, would you take it? Yeah, I would. And so people want to know God. People want to know about Him. There's just things that get in the way. So break down those barriers a little bit, engage with them, and then... Gently get them along to church. One more question. Still one more. All right. How to get a person to church. Now, a little while ago, this was, when was it? Start of this year? I think it was the start of this year because it wasn't when we first started. There's a guy who started a gym in my area. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He's from my school, and I hadn't seen him for years. I heard that he started this gym in our area. It didn't have to be a gym. It could have been anything. And, uh, and while I was at the local shops, I thought, I'll pop in there and say hello. And so I go in there, and I say hello, and I notice he's looking kind of flat and dreary. And I uh, asked him how things are going. He just told me, oh, I just come out of a relationship breakdown or whatever. And then he said to me, hey, you're doing some stuff around church, right? I said, yeah, I am. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I said, you should come along sometime. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I might. Oh, all right. Pulled out a card. I said, look, that's where we're meeting. He's like, maybe I'll come down this weekend. I said, all right, see you there. So I left. He turns up. I'm like, anyway, he sits through the service. I'm busy doing other stuff. Say goodbye to him at the end. I said, it was good to see you here, bro. You should try to come back. He says, yeah, I think I will. Comes back the next week. Comes back the next week, the next week. And I was just kind of like, my head must have been somewhere else because I wasn't following this guy up. And I was just thinking to myself, 
I'm just waiting for him just to, you know, go somewhere else on a Sunday morning. And I was just so busy with things and trying to run the church and everything. that. And then he said to me after like six, seven weeks, what do I do now? He goes, what do you mean, what do you do now? He goes, well, like, what, am I, what do I do with God now? Like, I'm like, well, you believe this. <laughs> it was like, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't have any, I didn't have any, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. So I ended up meeting with him and, and we, anyway, he's, he's really kicked on now. And so he's, he's doing great. But the point of the story is just inviting someone along like that is sometimes all a person needs to connect in, to hear the good news of Jesus clearly and for a young, fit, dude in his early 30s, he was already having a bit of a midlife crisis, and this put all the pieces of his life together. I just finished doing Explaining Christianity with his mum, and she just gave her life to Jesus too. And she was my teacher in high school. (laughs) That was great. That was a sweet one. (laughs) Anyway, most of the time, you've got to be prepared to do some groundwork. Because like I said, when you're talking about life and death stuff, you can't just go up to anyone and say, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Like, that's an offensive question to ask. But if you uh, care enough about someone to, to get to know them a little bit, you find that it's even, it is still difficult to ask that question, but you can phrase it in a way that'll kind of make them feel as if you're actually caring for them. And you just talk about the reality that life is difficult, and uh, it's hard to make sense of life, isn't it? When you think of it's hard to even use the word, but when you think of death, it's like, what's it all about? You know, people don't have answers to these questions. And so you've got to care. you really got to care, but you've got to be bold. And I'm just going to talk about being caring for a little bit, just to, just to help you to see how powerful a little bit of care can be to get underneath a person's skin so that they'll actually listen to you about life and death stuff. Now, I'm an electrician, okay? That's what I did for work up until the time I went into ministry. And, uh, and when I became a Christian, I would go into people's houses and I would ask them questions about themselves. Now, I didn't ask deep, intrusive questions, but I would get into a house and there'd be a woman there, she'd be in her 50s or something, and I'd say to her, uh, do you have a family? And you can ask that question to anyone, right? You can have a family... And then straight away to be like, yeah, I've got, you know, two kids, uh, you know, got divorced 30 years ago. Like, I'll just say that. And then I'll ask a follow-up question, something along the lines of, you know, do you have a good relationship with your kids? And I would have women just stop and cry. Just me and her in the house, and she'd be crying as she would tell me about a relationship breakdown, about a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law who pulled the kids away, a child who passed away at some point in her life. And I would just leave the house after fixing her light fitting and just be like, what the hell just happened there? Like, I just went in there to do a job and I asked two questions and she's in tears. And then often at the end of the conversation, she'd be like, I don't know why I just shared all that with you. And I'd be like, well, I know. Like, I know, because I asked a couple of questions that didn't seem too much, but I actually showed enough care to be able to ask about the family. Just know that relationships are complex. You ask a person what their family's like, if they've got kids, how they relate to their kids, or, uh, you know, challenges of being a grandma, or uh, what could you ask? Um, About their history, if they're first generation, where'd you come from, why'd you leave, what was life like back in the home, home country? People want to talk about that stuff and it gets them into, this one lady was chatting with another woman who was like as tough as nails, right? And she, this lady, this Christian woman said to her, what was life like growing up for you? And she said, oh, back in the home country, I... My mum and dad gave me up when I was, I was like six or seven years old. And, uh, and then, she, you know, so I grew up with this other couple and told her story and just completely straight-faced, right? And then this Christian woman said to her, 
like thinking, gee, it must have been hard as a six-year-old to go through that, and just said, gee, I wish I could have given the little six-year-old inside of you a hug. And this woman just broke down in tears because all her life she's been guarding that hurt and pain and no one has ever spoken to her in a way that helped to at least give the understanding that they knew that that must have been difficult. Now those stories are in all around us with people who we meet and it just takes a person to ask a question about where they came from or whatever it is to be able to tap into that and then once you're there, man, would you like to come to church with me? I mean, that's an easy one. You're already there. So you've got to care. Now I've got a mate of mine. This is one of my mates who's in and out of my life every nine months, okay? He's in and out. In, he wants to talk about God. What I think about this guy is there's this verse in, it's 1 Peter, three, no, 1 Timothy 3, and he talks about godlessness in the last days. The 1 Timothy 3, I think it is 1 Timothy 3, and he says, they'll be forever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's like a condemnation on people. My mate is one of them. He'll talk to me about Jesus, he'll seem to understand what's going on, but he'll never actually commit his life to Jesus. And so these guys are hard to work with, but I have him there. And anyway, I did an Explaining Christianity course with him in his shed, and, uh, and he was probably as close as he had ever come to Jesus, and he was actually going out there and telling other mates of ours to come along to hear the good news about Jesus, and he wasn't even converted himself. And I told him, go out and get people to come into this so that we can do it together. And he spoke to another plumber, who's a mate of his, again, he's a plumber from west, southwest of Sydney, he's a pretty tough exterior. My mate said to him, how you going, Scotty? And Scotty said to him, yeah, I'm doing all right. And my mate said, nah, Scotty, honestly, man, how are you doing? And Scotty just broke down in tears. He's depressed, he's upset, he's lonely, his girlfriend dumped him, having a hard time at home. Just a whole bunch of things just because he just simply asked a little question. Now, I told you the story about my mate, Phil, who I asked him about his mum because I knew she had depression. What was the result? Tears straight away. And he was willing to come and read the Bible with me. Another lady. I drink this South American tea these days. It's called mate. It's, uh, it's kind of like, it's been great because I don't drink coffee anymore. Now I drink this South American tea. And it's fully kosher, just so you know. Whenever I mention that I drink a South American tea, people look at me like as if I'm smoking pot or something. <laughs> but, but it's not. And anyway, so this, this woman sells South American tea in Smithfield. And so I go to buy tea off her. Her name's Andrea. First thing, Andrea, how you going? She goes, yeah, I'm doing all right. Straight away I notice, all right, not, I'm doing good. I can tell she's a bit flat. So I said to her, you're doing all right, huh? She's like, what's, what's with you boys? Can't you, can't you guys commit? I said, look, Andrea, to be honest with you, us guys can't commit. It's really hard for us to commit. I said, and most of the guys you'll meet, I said, they got their minds on a billion different things and it's really hard to find a good guy these days, I know. And then she ended up telling me about her boyfriend and that he broke up with her and that he won't commit with her and all this stuff. Again, come to the end of the conversation, she looks at me and goes, why did I just share all that with you? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, but you know what? Why don't you come along to church on Sunday? I said, sometimes what we really need is to get our minds off all this stuff and start thinking about things out of this world. I said, coming to church on Sunday helps to refresh us because we think about God why don't you just come down on a Sunday and check it out? Now, Andrea hasn't come down yet. She ended up getting pregnant by that guy. She's just had the baby. And now when I see her, it'll be knowing how difficult life is as a mum. How are you going as a mum? It's as simple as that. And you know what? I know the answer is going to be very deep because life's not easy. And just asking that question is going to be going pretty deep. Uh, the... Biblical text, if you wanted to see an example for this in the Bible, Genesis 40, verse 6 and 7. There's a guy named Joseph. Joseph is a good guy and he's having a really hard time. He's in prison. The whole world is going wrong for Joseph. Everything's going from bad to worse. 
He's in prison with these two other guys, and there's this beautiful little verse that says, Joseph is in prison with this cupbearer and the baker of this psycho king, and he notices that they were down. And so he says to them, guys, is something wrong? They end up telling him their whole, all their problems, and that ends up what kind of is the catalyst to him getting out of prison and onto the throne. But it's just taking the time to care about someone and ask them how they're doing. And once you start talking about on that level, you're in, and you'll always be the person that that person comes back to if they want to talk about the things of God. But you've got to care. You really got to care. And finally, you've got to be bold. Okay, you've got to care, but you've got to be bold. Now, I wish there was some easy way to talk to people about Jesus. And to be honest with you, in my experience, what I've just told you is the easy way to talk to someone about Jesus. Just be interested in them. Ask them questions about their life. They'll open up to you. And when they open up to you, you've got an opportunity to speak into their life and invite them along to church or whatever. And you'll be surprised at the fruit that you'll get. But at the end of the day, you've got to be bold, don't you? There has to be a boldness about you. Now, you know what Jesus said about a light and putting it under a blanket? He said, if you get a lamp, no one puts it under a blanket or puts it underneath a table or whatever. The lamp's purpose is to be on top of the table with nothing cover it, covering it so that everyone can see the light. Now, Jesus is saying that to Christians because what he's saying, in a sense, is we are the light of the world. And it's not easy sometimes to shine your light, but we need to shine our light and be really wise in the way we do it. It's got to be us. Now, the kind of hard edge of that is Jesus saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you when I return. Now, I think we need to hear that. And I think the reason why Jesus tells us that isn't so much to kick us in the head, but it's to encourage us. And what Jesus will often do, you'll notice as you read through the Bible, is he'll often be lifting our eyes up to see the reality of the kingdom of God. Now, of all the things that Jesus spoke about, you know, the number one thing he spoke about was the kingdom of God. It was just always on his lips because understanding the reality of that kingdom helps you live this life in light of that. And so just remember when it's really hard and you're struggling to, to kind of get yourself out of the shell enough to want to engage with people about Jesus, just remember that. He will come back. And when he comes back, every little step that you took in the right direction for him, every time you said something that was taken to be a little bit weird or whatever, they will be the things that will stand as evidence that you genuinely lived your life for him. And as you do it, you will get stronger in it. Sometimes it's little steps. I know for myself, I reckon I have failed in evangelism 10, 11 times sometimes before I've built the courage up to then take the next step and break through a barrier. I'll tell you a typical barrier for me. Someone will say to me, as long as you're happy. Now, I'd talk to them and I'd get to the point to ask them something about their life and I'd say, oh, as long as you're happy. And I just kind of poured water on the conversation. And I'm like, oh, I hate that. And then I have another conversation, as long as you're happy. Oh, I hate that. As long as you're happy, I hate that, I hate that. And then I'm thinking, what am I going to say next time someone says it to me? And I think about it, and I think about it, and I think, you know what? Next time someone says to me, as long as you're happy, I'm going to say, well, you know what? Maybe there's more to life than happiness. So I prepare myself. And as I go about my day, I've got that in the back of my mind. And the next time someone says it to me, I say, well, you know, happiness isn't all there is. You can't be happy all the time. And all of a sudden, you've broken through. Now, for me, I'll tell you the time that I broke through with evangelism. I used to hang around bikies right, before I was a Christian. And so I was at a clubhouse once. And I was a Christian, and I'm around all these bikies, and they're all kind of, you know, looking tough and doing their bikey thing, and they don't yet know that I'm a Christian. And so I'm there with them, mingling, whatever, and then one of them comes over to me, and he's like, hey, bro, have you been partying lately? And I say, no. Straight away, he looks at me like, why not? And you can see the look in his eye, like, have you got cancer? Like, he's... <laughs> something wrong with you? You know, like, what happened, you know? And, uh, and so he says to me, you know, why not? Like, what's the go? And I said to him, 
I've become a Christian. And for me, that initial just saying that to someone was a hard step for me to get over. But I said to him, I've become a Christian. And he just kind of looked at me and he just kind of fidgeted because he didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> and, and, and I said to him, look, man, I said, I realize that God has given us a way out. And I took it. Just as simple as that. And, and he was just like, he didn't say another word. He just kind of shook my hand and, and walked off. But it was like, oh, it was so freeing. Because then from that point, I've been able to talk about Jesus much more easily now. Now, you may be at the point where you need to take that initial step to be able to testify, but let me encourage you to do it. Because when you do it, it confirms something in you. It gives you a greater assurance in your faith. You know, it's like when you serve. You know, there's this beautiful verse, 1 Timothy 3.12, I think, you know, 1, 2, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.13. Anyway, can you look up 1 Timothy 3.13 just to make sure I'm not you giving you a bump steam? Oh, sorry, what time are we going to stop? Soon. Yeah? Okay, we'll finish up here. Um, 3.13. What does it say? Alright, you notice that. When you serve well, you gain a great assurance of your faith. You know why? Because nothing gives you greater assurance that you're with Jesus than when you actually put your faith into action and you go and serve Jesus. And it's the same thing with your witness. You know how the Apostle Paul says it's with your mouth that you testify? You've got your faith in Jesus, and if you really want that to hit home and to make you realize that you are one with Him, go out and talk to people about Him, and you'll find that you are really associating with Him. And that is really powerful. Let me uh, really encourage you to do that. And I think we could probably leave it to that. The Apostle Paul says, how will they ever hear unless someone preaches it to them? How will they ever hear? You know, the church is not God's plan B for the world to know about Him. It is plan A. And there is no other plan. People need to know about Jesus and they will. It's up to the church. If we don't do it, someone else will. But God gives us all an opportunity to play our part. And so let me encourage you all. I know it's hard, but be caring, be bold, be clear, and drag him along to church. That's it. How much time do you have for questions? We've got a bit of time for questions if you want. Yeah? All right. Bit of time. Yeah. All right. Well, the first thing is, I think um, a part of it is, in my life before I became a Christian, I always was able to relate to people from a lot of different backgrounds and walks of life. And so, by God's grace, I think I can relate to people fairly well. Um, coming into the church from, as an outsider, I remember what was weird and what wasn't. And so... I think that's helpful because I know now what not to say and I still have an ear to the outsider. I think that's really important. But I think more than anything, if you want to talk to people about Jesus and you're doing it, you just know when you say something weird. And when you say something weird, you go away and you think, how could I have said that better? And then I try now to steer all my conversation, even when I'm leading a service or whatever, I try not to use gospel now. I try to say the good news of Jesus. Um, I don't tell people to go and evangelize this week. I say, go and talk, talk to your friends about Jesus. And so just in my general conversation, uh, I'll just make a big effort to speak in a way that is clear and as concise as possible. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, okay. Good question. Um, so, like, every, every person needs to be... This is one of the things that make it hard to talk to people about Jesus, is there's no... Like, there's one message, and there's one Jesus, but the way to communicate Him to a hundred people individually may be a hundred different ways. And so this is why it's so important that if you've got an opportunity to do it relationally, person to person, then you do it in accordance with the person that you're speaking to. And so on a big level, if you think, if you're talking to someone from another country who speaks that language, the first thing you've got to do is translate the message into that language. Uh, a, a beautiful message from the Bible means nothing to someone unless they can understand it. If you're speaking in the same language as the person, then what you want to remember is, oftentimes, I mean, people need to hear what you're saying in order for them to take it to heart. And so how do you get a person to hear what you're saying and take it to heart? You've got to get on their level. So that's where the relational work comes into it. Get on their level, talk to them, ask them questions, get them to break the walls down enough so that they know that you care about them, see where they're at, and then once you're there, you can think about Jesus and what it is about Him that a person would be helpful for a person to hear and speak to them about it. So yeah, often at the gym, it's like there's a bit of bravado or whatever, so like you can kind of whack a person across the chest as he's getting up off his bench and say... You know, rather than sleeping in on Sunday, why don't you come along to church? But that'd be totally inappropriate at Woolworths. <laughs> and so, like, you're talking to the checkout person at Woolies, and it's like, thanks for doing such a good job with my watermelon. Um, and they're like, oh, that's okay. And it's like, are you local? And they'd be like, yeah, I'm local. I live just around the corner. Oh, you know, our church is just around the corner from here as well. You should come down. And, like, just, but every person is different, but yeah. So yeah, I think I do talk to people very differently, depending on my relationship with them. So, um, what happens when you're trying to share Jesus and the main barrier you find that they come up with is intellectual barriers? Like, they're smart people, they might know about Christianity maybe well, but like, you know, the Bible is what we are, we need to understand. That's what they keep coming back to. And, you know, in sharing Jesus, you know, sometimes that's what you're afraid of. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So have you ever heard of a guy named Don Carson? So he's smart, right? He's a smart dude. He was a pastor for um he he was a pastor for like I think it was he was a pastor for thirty years before he just decided to have an affair with books completely. And uh and he said in thirty years of ministry he only met one person who he thought had a genuine intellectual, something intellectual that was stopping them from engaging with Jesus. He said every single one of them, he dug down a little bit deeper and it was a moral thing. And so I think 99 times out of 100, a person will want to ask where dinosaurs are in the Bible or if my dog's going to heaven or, you know, why do bad things happen or whatever. And I think they're all really good questions but if you get caught up, and this has just been my experience, if I get caught up answering intellectual objections, there's no end. It just continues to go. And so I would say, answer the question that they're asking, um, but then dig a little bit deeper and get to some kind of conversation about life. Because at the end of the day, you've got an intellectual question, yet yeah, who cares, man, you're going to die. Like, do you know what's going to happen to you at the end of the day? And so I'd, yeah, try to get, answer the question, take it seriously, get through it, and try to, try to touch on the heart. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And don't be ashamed to say, gee, that's a good question. I'm going to do a bit of research. I'm going to come back to you. Can I tell you how one guy became a Christian at church? So Phil, the guy who... Uh, who I went to the gym with and then did Bible study with, he's a site manager on a job site. And he's there having a conversation with a Muslim guy about Jesus. 
the Muslim guy challenges him with a question that he doesn't know the answer to. And so he says, hang on a second, I'm going to ring my mate. So he rings me up. <laughs> I'm at, well, doing whatever. He puts me on loudspeaker. And now I'm answering the Muslim guy through the thing. Anyway, there's a guy that walks past the office and stops in at the door and listens into the conversation that's happening. He ends up hearing the conversation, comes back to Phil later, speaks to him about it, Phil's kind of like looking at him thinking, why were you eavesdropping on my conversation to start with? But then says, look man, why don't you just come along to church and see what it's all about? And then he gave his life to Jesus. And so like, phone a friend if you have to, you know? Like, um, or just say to him, that's a good question, I, I'll, let me find an answer for you and I'll come back to you. But just answer the question and then try to work a way to get a little bit deeper.